It's the Mike Salk Show, serviced by Jaffco Plumbing and Sewer. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Are you ready? Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the 710 Sports app and at 710sports.com. Are you ready for a good Yeah, it is time for the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle with me, Mike Salk. And of course, Matt Hasselbeck. Hello, sir. How are we doing today? Hey. Is that how it works? I'm on the Matt Hasselbeck Show? You are. Well, it's not the Matt Hasselbeck Show without you. Well, you can have it without me. You feel free. (laughs) We may. uh, I'm psyched to be here, though. It's my youngest brother's 40th birthday. Oh, wow. And uh, he lives in Seattle, and so my brother Tim's out there. And uh, so you guys are actually saving me from losing a bunch of money playing golf against them because they're far better golfers than no. me. So I'm actually uh, saving saving money here and saving my pride here by, by being here and spending this time with you. I could definitely uh, come up with a Tim Hasselbeck joke. There's definitely a joke about like scored a par wanting to be low and Tim and some of his quarterback ratings. Like there's a joke in there, but I won't make it. How's that? Yeah, but Tim goes on the offensive. I know so he does. I, I've just kind of like uh I've stayed you know, he he take he, no there's no line he won't cross in an argument, <laughs> joke telling, prank playing. And I, I don't know if that's all all middle children. Yeah. You know, he's the middle of three boys, but um uh, so I, we've kind of called a truce. I put a picture out there of him in a in a speedo for his 40th birthday, Ooh. and then we kind of just called a truce. And and uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be here with you talking football. All right, good. Well, we got a lot to talk about starting uh, starting with the Seahawks here. I will tell people we'll announce our Seahawks code word for a chance to win a couple tickets. See the Hawks and the Bears on December 26th, day after Christmas. Tickets for the matchup remain at Seahawks.com slash tickets. Don't forget you can stop by the Pro Shop this holiday season for the latest styles, decorations, and in-store sales all month long. So we'll give you that coming up here in just a little bit so you know where to go. Uh, Seahawks actually got a win this week, Matt. Yeah. What do you Can think? Can I make a request? Yeah. Can I make a request yeah. on the word, the secret word? Yeah. Can we not make it a player? Because we made it uh, Everett. I as promise. Gerald Everett last week, and, and I think he accounted for like at least three turnovers by himself. He so. quite literally accounted for three turnovers by himself. Yeah. I don't think so, I've ever really seen anything like that. So whatever the name is, let's okay. just not make it a player right. and, or something. Something like that, you know. It's good memory. I can't believe you remembered that it was Gerald Everett last week. What um, What do you think did change for the Seahawks this week? What looked different? I mean, well, the offense got a little bit better, but I thought special teams uh, played great. You know, they were a difference maker in the game, and and that's something that uh, is important, especially when your team's struggling offensively. Your special teams got to show up. They showed up, obviously, with the touchdown on the fake punt after a quick three and out, but uh, but also like causing a fumble to open the second half. So how they started, they set the tone. You know, Pete would always talk about like bringing the juice. Like they brought the juice, they made plays, and I thought the defense played great. You know, like they they put the game in Jimmy G's hands. And uh, and said, okay, Jimmy, you like you go, you go and beat us. And, and Jimmy G, uh, you know, wasn't up for the task. I thought the crowd was into it. The crowd, you know, there were a lot of shots um, in the broadcast of the crowd, like people literally the entire third down, just like screaming, mm-hmm. causing noise. You saw pre-snap penalties. Jimmy G looked uncomfortable. Um, you know, they got turnovers. Like so, I I, I thought some of those things were great. And then. And, and they were great in sudden change situations. You know, maybe there was a turnover and the defense answered the bell. I'm thinking of the one backed up the one of the one of the turnovers where now all of a sudden the defense comes out and instead of just forcing a punt, like they actually get a safety. Um, you know, so I, I thought it was a it was a picture of 
sort of like what the Seahawks hope to be, you know, in terms of like how they're playing defense and how they're playing special teams. And it, it actually happened. Like it happened this week and, and it was, it was really good to see. It was obviously a crazy game and just sort of the back and forth nature of the whole thing just seemed like anything that could happen would. You must have played in games like that that just don't feel like a normal NFL football game. When, when do you know you are, you sort of have a sense that you're in a game like that? It's just, it's just fun and exciting. And I think it's, it all works together. The crowd works together with the, like the, the emotion of it for the players. But also, I just think even like the kind of week that it was, you know, I'm not in those locker, I'm not in the locker rooms, I'm not in the meeting room, but, you know, just, just the, you know, here's a team that it literally has the second worst record in the entire NFC. And when a lot of people would be cashing it in and just sort of like moving in a youth movement and stuff like that, what do they do? They send a message. They go out and sign, um, Adrian Peterson. They send a message like, no, 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 we are not giving up. We are trying to go 1-0 and this week no matter what it takes. We're going to look for anybody on the planet that can help us go 1-0 and this week. And and I thought that sent a message. I thought the trick plays, whether it was the fake punt backed up, that sent a message. I thought the double pass sent a message. And so, like, it all kind of works together. Like, hey, we're not hanging our head. We're, we're still in it. It's We're going 1-0 every week. We're not looking at the standings. We're not looking at the playoff picture. Those things will be what they are come the end of the year. And so you, you get that, like, that intensity and that mindset, and then you get the crowd into it, mm-hmm. and it's a home game, and it's a rivalry game. And uh, it just felt good. It was a fun, fun game to watch. Even though at times a little bit sloppy, there were some there were some great things and some big plays, and it was good stuff. Well, and that's not necessarily atypical of of great games and certainly rivalry games. I mean, even think back to the to the Richard Sherman tip game. I mean, that game was kind of sloppy, right, with a weird fumble right at the beginning and a couple of iffy plays throughout. I mean, that that's not necessarily surprising. Yeah, you know, like in hockey, there's like the answer goal, like mm-hmm. somebody scores and then, hey, they got momentum and then the other person scores and like, whoa, no, we got you right back. Like, th- that's what I felt like this game had, especially in the second half. Like I mentioned the safety, there was interceptions, there was fumble recoveries, there was a fourth and one stop that I think they ended up saying that the San Francisco center, uh, Mac, ended up dropping the ball, so they called it a false start. But that was a stop. You know, they went zone read to Jimmy G. That was a stop. The goal line finish at the game like that's everyone's going to talk about the fourth and three where carlos dunlap like batted the ball down and that won him the game what about the play before that what about third and three yeah when jimmy g yeah he's got he's got a he's got a play right there at 81 and like you know so that that was just like that the answer goal Mm -hmm. was a thing in this game and even going back to the start of it you know i mentioned special teams set the tone that fake punt by homer you know, they go, it's essentially, I think, a three and out. And then <laughs> fake punt touchdown. Wow. Like, that, that, was, that, was, that was the answer goal of all answer goals. You mentioned the uh, some of the trick plays and the fake punt. I, I, I kind of went the same direction, and the guys here were making fun of me because I felt uncomfortable using the phrase YOLO. Like, I just doesn't, it's not quite of my generation. <laughs> I don't know whether you'll feel more comfortable using it no, than Matt, me. No, Matt, what it was was he said, you know, it's right. something all the kids say. Well, we were like, it's something all the kids said like 10 years ago. They're not kids anymore. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Thank did, you. Hey, did you hear about that mannequin <laughs> challenge? Uh, did you hear about that? Salt <laughs> just got over planking. Uh, <laughs> It was the right phrase, though, for it. They did sort of have that attitude that, that it doesn't feel like they had really had until this moment in this game of like, you know, screw it. Let's go. There's nothing left to lose. 
Yeah, and to me, like that is that is me feeling. You know, that's kind of what I'm trying to say when I say we're going one and zero this week. Like there is no tomorrow. We're not worried about how many games there are left in our schedule. We're not worried about the standings. We're not doing the math. We're not looking at tiebreakers. We are just committed to doing anything and everything we can do to get a win today. And and I think that's the best mindset that I've ever been around. And it's very, very important when you're at the top and you're the best of the best, trying not to play down to your competition. And it's also very, very important to do when you're in last place in your division and the way to accomplish your goals and get back to where you want to be is to kind of take this one game at a time um, mentality. Why do you think they keep beating San Francisco? You know, like there, there's something about a rivalry game. Like that's that's a real thing, and these people, you know, they know each other really well. I think, you know, for me, going back, going into this game, I'm looking at San Francisco, saying, "Wow, this team's putting it together. They can run the football." Brandon Ayuk is a problem. Kittle is a problem. This run game is a problem. And like I said, I, I think they, you know, Seattle's defense did a really nice job of a causing turnovers and b discouraging the 49ers to be who they want to be and that's a a really a heavy heavy run team and what they did instead is they put especially in the second half the the game was in jimmy g's hands it was it was up to jimmy g to be special enough to get the win or to 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 basically be just a little bit short Mm -hmm. uh like he's been many times in this matchup and and that's exactly what happened. He came up a little bit short. Yeah, that's sort of been the story of his career, right? I mean, good enough to kind of get you there, but not good enough to finish the job. Yeah, well, I think it's a little bit of identity, you know, not to pile on Jimmy like too much, but it's more about what that team wants to be. Mm-hmm. And I think the New England Patriots do a better job of this than anybody. They they take away what you want to do, like what you are the best at. They just take that away and say, hey, listen, if you're going to beat us, you're going to do it in an uncomfortable way for you. And the analogy I like to use is like, say I'm right-handed. It's kind of like eating a bowl of cereal left-handed. Like, is it doable? Yeah, it's doable. It's not that hard. But, like, it just doesn't feel right. It's just like it's an annoying type of thing. And that's what happens usually, like, when you're the 49ers and you're no longer allowed to run the ball the way that you want to run the ball and you got to do it as a passing team. Like, that doesn't really feel like us. Mm. You know, and and, and uh, they didn't do a perfect job of it. But, but if you add in – you know, the the turnovers and the fumbles and the special teams plays and then a couple big plays by the offense, it uh, it worked together, and it was it was a really great game. All right, let's uh, announce here our Matt Hasselbeck Show Seahawks code word of the day. You can go to 710sports.com slash win. Enter the code word today, Matt, run, R-U-N, very simple, okay. run right, by we'll the end of the that. show to be we'll ended to win that. a couple tickets to see the Seahawks and the Bears. Remember, the code word expires at 10 o'clock. Details and rules, you can find them all at 710sports.com slash win. So go there and enter the code word run, as in exactly what the Seahawks tried to take away from the Niners last Sunday. Um, we we'll talk a little bit here about Russ because that's the other big difference. He, I thought he looked much better. I mean, it, it was... It seemed fairly clear to me, and especially numbers-wise, that that finger looked a whole lot healthier than it had the previous few weeks. Yeah, definitely better. Uh, still, still, like I don't feel like this offense is really where they could or should be, though. Like, the, 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 hopefully, they get clicking. You know, like there, there's just some things, even how they start the game. You know, there's a lot of RPO action in the NFL right now, and essentially, what that is is run-pass option. So, basically, meaning. 
you know, all the people involved in the running game are blocking the run. The offensive lineman, the tight end, they're blocking the run. The runner is running a run. There's like maybe one to three receivers that are probably running a pass route, like a bubble, like a behind the line of scrimmage, like just give me the ball now and I'll go make somebody miss. I'll run. Like that's just to protect the run, though, a little bit. So when you're doing those types of plays, when you're having the decision-making and the discernment to make those types of plays, the result cannot be on first and 10. The result cannot be second and 11. Like if you want like, – like the very first play of the game, hand the ball off, you get at least two yards, maybe four. But instead we're throwing the bubble, people's assignments are missed up, the throw's not – like second and 11. Like so like you're wondering why there's a problem on third down. Well, because we're not doing first down right. You know, and like like in, in second and 11 is like the kiss of death. No play caller ever wants second and 11. That's why people don't just throw the ball all the time because they're afraid of second and 10. Never mind second and 11. Mm-hmm. So, you know, TFLs, tackles for loss in the running game, uh, the quick throws. Like they're not – they're now and later offense, which means we're going to throw it right now out of our hands like four yards downfield or shorter, maybe even behind line of scrimmage, or we're going to throw it way later like home run, deep shot. And so, like, you know, I, I don't know. There's just something that's not right, not really, really clicking. So what do you if think you that is, a, though? I mean, like, trying to figure out what that is is, I guess, the million-dollar question. But what is it? What is it that seems to keep those plays from working? Is it is it time and space created by your big guys up front? Is it, you know, it used, I think we used the excuse of the quarterback's finger for a few weeks. I thought he was much more accurate in this game. I don't know that I can blame Russ's finger for that anymore. Is it play design? You guys have talked a lot about gimmies, and Brock likes to mention the lack of pocket movement at times. Like, Where, where do you see all of that emanating from? Yeah, no, I, I I think he looks healthy. I think his throws look um, pretty good. Like the sacks are drive killers. You know, that's a problem. Winning first down. Like I think I think decision making in terms of like, hey, we need to commit to this run. I thought it was a pretty balanced attack, mm-hmm. quite honestly. But it didn't need to be balanced for the sake of being balanced. There could have been more runs and less two yard pass plays. I think maybe two yard pass plays, uh, you know, like maybe there's an opportunity to commit to the run. Uh, ultimately, though, if I had to just say, like, what were the missed opportunities? I would say the missed opportunities were in the red zone. There were probably a, probably two more opportunities for touchdown passes, maybe three. You know, some of it was a drop. Some of it's not seeing somebody. But then just on the fade balls, like, we got to keep the fade balls inbounds. Mm-hmm. You know, like if DK Metcalf had three go balls or fade balls, um, you got to give them an opportunity, and that's and that that's you know that's partly sometimes on the receiver, sometimes it's partly on the quarterback, sometimes it's a great job by the DB, but I just I think there's just room for improvement. I, I guess I'm not um, not necessarily being critical so much as I'm trying to be constructive. Yeah. Hey guys, your defense isn't going to always be able to bail you out, and we don't need it to come down to fourth and goal from the three. <laughs> we we can be better, and I just think. Probably as they look at the film before they move on to the next game, they're saying to themselves, hey, you know what? It was a lot better. Our stats were pretty decent, but we probably should have scored 14 to 21 more points. It was reminding me as you were talking there that you were here for the uh, for the season of the Jeremy Bates fade pass on third and fourth and short where he just seemed like for whatever reason that seemed to be the go to play call that year. And as a as a fan, it would just drive me crazy. Like it just seems like so much can go wrong 
on a on a short yardage play, throwing it deep down the field like that. And, and listen, so I'll give you an answer on that. That is a philosophy that Jeremy Bates had when he was the offensive coordinator at USC. Anytime they want to put a corner one-on-one with our backside by himself receiver, on this team it would be DK Metcalf, mm-hmm. we make them pay. We throw it up on a fade. That's the rule. I don't care what the play is. I don't care what the down and distance is. We are better than you. Now, at USC, that might have been true. You know, in the NFL for uh, our team in that year, 2010, that probably was not true. <laughs> you know, but but I would say right now, if it was me, if I'm in there and I'm throwing the ball. And it's, I got and DK, it's DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf on anyone. I like it. I, the way they're calling P.I. nowadays, I like it. Mm. I, I don't mind it at all. But it's not a 50-50 ball or it's not worth it. It's got to be a 90-10 ball with precision, good stacking, good release, leave the quarterback space, quarterback, you leave the ball inbounds. And, you know, just, just calling it how it was, there were there were three of those that were thrown out of bounds. So I don't care how good your receiver is. If you're out of bounds, it's not a catch. What are we going to learn? So talking about Hasselbeck for the uh, Hasselbeck show all this hour. Hope you guys are uh, are enjoying and are used to now getting Matt for a full hour every Wednesday morning. Um the other side of the ball, you mentioned the defense played pretty well and, and trying to figure out what that looks like long term. Uh, Jamal Adams goes out of that game late in the first half, doesn't play it all in the second half. They don't give up a single point in the second half. And now we find out that he's got a torn labrum. So he's going to miss the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, quite quite honestly, I, I you know it's a, it's a bummer for him. It's a shame. It's tough. It's a tough injury. I've had that surgery. Um, I, I don't think that's a huge loss for the defense. I mean, I, I know I know he's a fun player to watch, but just looking how teams attack this defense, they they see they do. I don't think they view him as a strength of the defense. I guess that's the kindest way that I can say it. Um, I, I think what you saw is you saw people that are going to have to step up and play maybe less splash plays, but a little bit more of do your job and be where you're supposed to be. So what does that mean? And uh, like, you know, instead of going to make a play, trying to get a TFL, trying to get a tackle for loss, maybe you have a little more patience and wait to see if it's a naked bootleg. You know, like that kind of thing. Like the naked bootleg to Kittle was a long touchdown where essentially, you know, it's the responsibility of the outside linebacker on that play to not be a puppy dog, to be a little bit of a a more seasoned veteran, um, do your job. You're our outside contained person. Uh, Don't give Jimmy G the, the edge and... And don't give him the easy naked bootleg throw. And then once once we have the throw, DBs, part of your job is tackling. Part of your job is turning runners back inside. Like th- those kinds of things. Eliminating big plays. I-, I would think that, you know, like I said, there might be less splash plays with younger players out there. But there, at least there's the opportunity to keep it more simple and hold people accountable for doing their job the way that it's supposed to be. I done. love the description of a puppy dog, and I've heard you say that a couple of times about, about defensive players. I guess I have a pretty good idea of what you mean. Is that something you would look for on film as a quarterback? Like, hey, where's the puppy dog on the other team that I know I can bait with something? I think it's like there's certain people that are trying to go make a play, and they will definitely make a play, um, but you can use like sort of who they are to your advantage in a sense. You know, an example of a great, great player that was – 
you know, that I'm thinking of is Troy Polamalu. Troy Polamalu was all over the place. He was a, he would go make a play. Earl Thomas, go make a play. So if you understood kind of what, you know, what or who you're going up against, um, you know, you try to maybe limit the opportunities for them to make a good play, but then say, okay, well, what does that mean for us? You know, then that could be using your cadence to get a beat on what they're doing. Or, you know, I, I think in the in the case that I'm looking at this Seahawks defense, though, you got some young players like Daryl Taylor, number 52. I, I've said it all year. I think he's a tremendous player. I think he's got tremendous upside as a pass rusher. Um but you do see with some of these young pass rushers, like you have responsibilities as you're going to rush the passer, you know, or you have responsibilities that you're, you know, the team's counting on you for as you're going to rush or stop the ball carrier. And so th those are things that you can maybe take advantage of someone's aggressiveness. Um, if you see a guy is running plays down from the backside, that there's a reason that there's 13 coaches up in the press box um, on headsets. Hey, listen, let's come back to a naked bootleg on that guy. He's not honoring it. You know, those those types of things that uh, that's why you study film. And, and and that's why young players, they grow and they mature as they learn from mistakes. You know, the other thing that went on, Matt, after this game is, is we got the report from Mike Garofalo saying that Jody Allen is taking kind of a critical look at what's happening. And then Peter King kind of doubled down on that yesterday uh, on with Rich Eisen. And yeah, I, I guess I wonder you were here as, as the Holmgren Ruskell thing was sort of breaking up. What is that like for a player? Do you focus on that stuff? Is it completely out of your mind and you don't know anything? Like, how, how do you handle all that as a player? Yeah, uh, you know, I can just speak for me when I was there with uh, Tim Ruskell and Mike Holmgren. And, you know, I was very, you know, I, I think I was uh, in conversations with both those guys pretty much on a daily basis. And, you know, to their credit, they hid that stuff from the players uh, very well. Any differences of opinion that they had or differences in personality or whatever they might have had, uh, they hid that from us. And it wasn't something that I was fully aware of. You know, I would hear rumblings of it. I just didn't see it. I just I just never saw it. And I and I think that's really the best the best thing you can do, like, the you know, to keep it. You know, like, I guess, keep it to yourself mm -hmm. and, and not involved, not try to find allies in the building. Like, whose team are you on? Are you on his side or are you on my side? You know, that kind of thing. And we, we never really felt that. And yet, obviously, upstairs, there was some of that difference of opinion. And looking back, it makes sense why some of the things that we were doing, um, you know, maybe we weren't in sync the way that we needed to be to be successful. But, um yeah, so you know, I don't know. I think every year in the NFL, you take a critical look at that everything, whether you're having a great season or you're not having a great season. Why? Just out of curiosity, what, what, what? Why would a quarterback and GM be in touch on most most days? What are you talking about? Yeah, you know, like uh, in a football building, people are around. Whether you're traveling with the team or you're at practice, you know, that was a new thing. I think for for all of us when Tim Ruskell became the GM, he was at every practice. You know, and that that just wasn't the situation with previous GMs when I was there. Uh, he felt like it was important that he and his scouts, if they were going to be having say in the roster and they were going to be making decision, they owed it to us to watch every practice, to be at practice. And and in a way, like, I think we really appreciated that. Like, huh, OK, well, that that makes that makes sense. But I think also in a way it maybe didn't sit right with the coaching staff. There's like, what do you why? 
this is our time. Like mm. we're here running practice. You don't need to be down here watching. Um, you know, go do your job. Like we'll do ours, mm. you do yours. And you know, that was never said to me or us or anybody, but like maybe that could be how it felt. Um, and so, you know, you just, you build relationships or, you know, like it could be just casual conversations about a guy in the practice squad. Hey, how's he doing? How do you like him? Hey, what do you think of this new free agent? How's he fitting in? And, uh, you know, just, I think just feeling together and not stepping on other people's territory is something that you see happen around the league in the NFL. All right. We'll be uh, ranking things, Matt, coming up here in about 20 minutes in honor of Tyler Lockett and his Man of the Year nomination. Uh, we got a pretty good ranked for Matt, uh, a, a sweeter ranked, I think, than we've done maybe in the past. That's coming up here in 20 minutes. Before we get there, though, and coming up next, I think it's got to be the craziest stat that I've seen from any football game in my entire life, and I want to ask you about it next. Mike Salk Show with Matt Hasselbeck, 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Matt Hasselbeck show rolling on here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Did you ever think, Matt, you would watch a game with 46 running plays and three passing plays and the team would win? Yeah, I just thought it would be the Naval Academy or <laughs> Army or Air Force. <laughs> All right. I should have said an NFL game where that occurred. I, what a remarkable game to watch. You know what? I've actually watched games where I've said, you know, the quarterback played bad or something, and I said, literally, if they just never threw the ball, they would have had a better chance to win. Like, if they took a knee every play in the second half and punted, they would have had a better chance to win. And it almost felt a little bit like that. And what you discover is that you can still have explosive plays in the run game. I mean, they popped some big runs, and... uh and the, the, it was it was cool to watch. I, I sort of thought it was great. Maybe a one-time thing, but but I thought it was great. Yeah, I don't know that I would want to watch a game in 50-mile-an-hour wins every week, and especially with that. I mean, you get two teams that are two of the better teams in the AFC. I'll admit, I was sort of looking forward to seeing what they looked like against each other just on a normal field to sana, kind of find out what the, a playoff preview might look like and where those two teams are at right now. But just from a viewer, like it was just fascinating to watch a game that looked like that. Yeah, it was cool. And, you know, when my childhood growing up, I feel like the Buffalo Bills were always hosting, like, the Raiders or the Houston Oilers or the Miami Dolphins mm-hmm. or some, like, warm weather team had to go up to Buffalo. And I can promise you that is the hardest stadium to play in in the NFL when it comes to uh, weather and wind and snow and crown on the field and all that kind of stuff. And so to see the weather sort of be used against Buffalo like that was uh, – it, it was it was something. And Belichick just – just loving every second of it right i mean just i i don't know i don't know i'm sure he'll be taking some of the sean mcdermott stuff afterwards and using that to to continue to fire up his team but just it felt it feels at times like bill's just out there looking to like collect resume points like oh yeah one time i beat a team while only throwing the ball one time. <laughs> well you know there is a saying and rex ryan says this sometimes you know when you choose to throw the ball Uh, There's four things that can happen, and three of them are bad. And so, like, sometimes just eliminating critical errors in a game is how you win a game. And and I'm sure the San Francisco 49ers could be saying that about their game against Seattle this week where, man, if we just hadn't turned the ball over one of those times – uh, we would have we would have just won this game, and so he took he took that opportunity to lose the game out of the hands of his quarterback. and And I did an interview with Nick Saban recently on our Sunday NFL Countdown show, and asking, we asked him why the greatest coach of all time in college 
football is Nick Saban, a defensive head coach. The greatest coach of all time in pro football is Bill Belichick. Why is the trend to always hire these offensive guys? Like, what is it about how you see the world that is so successful as a coach, you know, in, in Nick Saban's eyes? And Nick had an interesting answer, and he said, you know, I think Bill and I both realize before you decide to go and try to win the game, you need to have a plan about how you're not going to lose the game. And I just thought it like I, it almost didn't make sense to me at first, but then you look at that game that they just played against uh, Patriots versus the Buffalo Bills, and you say, you know what? Bill was like, we are not going to lose the game because of this. It's so funny that I totally agree with that, and I, I think it makes sense, but it goes so totally in the face of so much of what you hear about, right? Of like, don't think about what can go wrong. It's the opposite of Pete. Pete was asked why he went for it on fourth down late in the game, which I think was a huge mistake, by the way, to go for that. And his answer is because we were going to get it. I mean, Pete doesn't, like, <laughs> he's not thinking about what could go wrong. Pete's entire mentality and philosophy is built on expecting things to go right. And it, that seems to be much more what you hear about from mental skills coaches, et cetera. Don't think about don't think about the water or that's where your shots going. Right. Think about putting the ball right in the right by the pin. And yet I totally agree with that philosophy of, hey, make sure you don't lose. Make sure you don't screw it up. Well, I think the Pete situation is different because he wants his team, his city, his organization to feel how committed he is to going for it, mm-hmm. not waving the white towel and not giving up. Like, we're all the way in. We're going to stay aggressive. Like, he's almost mindset, like setting a, setting a mindset for the, for the, for the everybody out there, really. And I think what Bill is doing is he's looking and he's saying, you know what? I have a young rookie quarterback. Look at the success of guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and Davis Mill. Like they're get they're terrible this year. Terrible. Now Mac Jones is nine and four. What's the difference? He has a healthy respect for how hard it is to be a starting quarterback in this league as a rookie. And he is going to find other ways to win games. And while this young quarterback incrementally gets better as he matures and grows up. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's necessarily playing afraid. It's more about playing smart and understanding, you know, again, you know, maybe it's a defensive mindset. Uh, you choose to throw the ball, four things can happen, three of them are bad. I don't know whether the players think about storylines over the course of a year or not, but right now I guess we were just reading the odds. The best odds in the NFL are for a Patriots Bucks Super Bowl. Can you imagine the storyline? I mean that's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone who overpaid for that um that ticket to see yeah. the Bucks play the Patriots on Sunday night football is like the game of the century. It'll never happen again. <laughs> uh except later in the year and we're gonna call it the Super Bowl. Can you imagine? That's the greatest storyline for Super Bowl of all time, right? The best part about it, it will be all these Patriot fans. You know the nicknames they have for them. Like, they will be so torn. Like, what will they do? Do we root for the Pats? Do we root for Brady? What do we do? Gronk? Like, it'll just be, like, just a total mind cluster. (laughs) Just amazing. (laughs) It'll be be amazing. That would be pretty good. Uh, I wanted to play this for you. Did you hear Cooper Cup uh, breaking down his touchdown the other day? Have you heard the sound? Yeah, uh, I did. I, I, we were hoping it. that uh, that you – I think I got some of it. I don't have all of it, so I was hoping maybe you could help. Here's Cooper Cup. He was asked what happened on his touchdown catch. Yeah, they had a little three-deep fire zone, brought the nickel off the edge, safety dropped down. Uh, it didn't look like they were doing a replacement fire zone, so I knew at the back away we were going to get three pushing through. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of run in there if I could beat my guy and just had to beat the safety to the end zone. All right, so I think I get most of it, but why don't, let me play you bits and pieces and you can tell me what he's saying, <laughs> all right? Sounds like Sean McVay Jr. 
<laughs> well, I think there's probably a reason they're so connected. Here you go. Here he goes. Yeah, I said a little three deep fire zone. All right, three deep fire zone. Yeah, what's that mean? Oh, I actually have to do it. A three deep fire zone means so three deep. I'm guessing means three deep safeties. Okay, one deep safety. They call it three deep, but right. the, the corners Single are high responsible. Safety. Everyone's responsible for a deep third. Right. So the corner is a deep third. The other corner is a deep All third. Right. And there's so one safety in the hashes that he's got the other. Deep single third. high safety, cover three, etc. And a fire zone, if I understand, means you're rushing, you're blitzing linebackers, and your defensive ends are dropping back into into the flats. Close. You're just you're blitzing linebacker types. So you're blitzing okay. in this case a linebacker in a nickel. A nickel is a, a linebacker type. So they call it nickel because there's now five DBs. Right. Your in corners the game. replacing your your linebacker in that spot. Yeah. So a nickel. So then sounds okay. like the nickel blitz and yes. say the middle linebacker blitz. Okay. Drop the nickel off the edge. Safety drop down. Nickel off the edge. Is what you just said. The safety drop down. So what the safety drops into the nickel spot. Exactly. And the fire zone part is, yes, you were right, the defensive end will now drop and play in the linebacker spot. Okay. So basically, two guys are blitzing, and one defensive lineman is no longer rushing. And they're and they're taking his spots in different ways. So, so you're really turning it into two deep zone, right? Doesn't that make sense? Because the safety's dropping down? Or is it the um, other safety that's dropping into his, his area? So the safety drops to the side that the blitz is coming from. Okay, got it. And the defensive end that drops is the guy away from the blitz. This is super dorky. Uh, it didn't look like they were doing a replacement fire zone, so I knew at the back away we were going to get three pushing through. I don't get that. Okay, ready? So the replacement fire zone means the, the, the linebacker that's not blitzing will be sprinting over to basically cover Cooper Cup. He's replacing that happens sometime. Okay. Yeah, he'll be replacing him. And so, what is, if what is the three pushing? Yeah, so basically, it sounds like they're numbering the receivers. So outside in, the outside receiver is number one. The middle receiver is number two. The third receiver, kind of in that tight end position, would be the number three receiver. Got it. And sometimes they'll push all the way over there, or sometimes they say, you know what, we would rather disguise it and not show you we'll just leave the bit we'll leave a big hole there and we think our disguise because of our disguise you're not going to see it uh, that's the part that we were missing Justin. i think we could have gotten most of that but the idea of numbering the receivers i don't think that ever occurred to any of the three of us so. certainly not me it's a good thing you were here matt thank you for being here all right coming up next we're going to have you rank uh some teammates and people you've been around all related to a wonderful wonderful honor for a guy who certainly deserves it it's coming up next mike salk show matt hasselbeck show 710 espnc Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Yeah, ranking things with Matt Hasselbeck as we do on Wednesdays. I, I've tried to be good to myself here and, and live up to my promise that I would spend more time on this show focused on some of the really great things that athletes do. And Tyler Lockett being named as the Seahawks nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award is really high on that list. He does so many good things, and his Light It Up Foundation does a lot. In Tulsa, which is a remarkable city, and it's worth uh, even just Googling it or reading the story on Seahawks.com uh, for sort of why that's important to him and what it means. Go, go do it if you have a few minutes. Uh, but, Matt, with that in mind, we thought we would ask you to rank the best people you were around in your NFL career, essentially the Matt Hasselbeck version of the Walter Payton Award. 
Well, let me say this. I'm not worthy of that uh, title on it. So I'm going to give the title to a guy I'm not putting on the list, but he could be at any one of these spots. Chris Gray. Chris Gray, the right guard forever. Unsung hero of unsung heroes. Seriously, the best human being on the planet. We talk about Walter Jones and Hutch and Tobeck and all those guys. Chris Gray is that guy. So he's not on the list, but he deserves to be on this list. An amazing guy. Okay. So number five, I'm going to start out with Isaiah Kazavinsky, special teams captain when we went to the Super Bowl. Just an incredible life story. Grew up poor, single parent. His mom passed away. Uh, grew up homeless. Found a way to Harvard. Had a great career in the NFL, Harvard Business School. Now he's crushing it uh, after football. He's got a VC firm. He's just doing great, but just uh, just a, really an amazing guy who gave 100% effort all the time, gave us everything he ever had, and uh, was like exactly what you're looking for in a teammate. Uh, and not a lot of guys at a Harvard. So Isaiah Kazavinsky okay. gets number five. Number five. Number four, our safety from the 05 season from Florida State, Michael Bulware, number 28. This was probably the nicest person I ever played with in the NFL, and the ball always seemed to find him. So I certainly don't believe in karma or anything like that, but our team, it was almost like, wait a sec, do you think it's a coincidence that like the nicest guy in the team, every tipped ball finds its way to him? I mean, he was a linebacker in college, was trying to learn to play strong safety, and it was working because this dude just came up with interception after interception fumble recovery michael bulware like the nicest hmm. guy that you'll ever meet all right and it worked for him and it worked for him the football okay. karma gods number three and number two like max strong won this walter payton award so many times so he's on this list and i'm putting him with number two walter jones okay two of the best guys you've ever been around Irony is when they were teammates of mine, they would never talk. Quick story about To each this. other so, or just at all? To anybody. But one time, there was like a golf tournament in town, and those guys never had roommates, but because the all the pro golfers were staying at our hotel or something, they had to be roommates for a game. And at pregame... They come down. I think well, Max Strong comes down first. We're like, hey, how was it rooming with Walt last night? He's like, man, you know, I don't think I could do that anymore. He, he likes the room too hot. It was like 80 degrees in that room. Like, he, maybe that's what it takes to be a great player, but if that's what it takes, I can't do it. He likes the room too hot. Mac leaves pregame meal. We stay. We're talking. Walter Jones comes down. Hey, hey, man, how was uh, rooming with Max Strong last night? Man, I can't do that. He likes the room too hot. <laughs> Did you guys not talk to each other? Like, he was just down here. He said he didn't like the room hot either. Like, oh, well, guess we should have said something to each other. So, incredible guys, but they were so quiet when uh, when they were playing in the NFL. Just went about their business, did awesome things in the community. They didn't do it for photo opportunities or anything like that. They were just doing it from the goodness of their heart, like all of these guys. And it was, uh, you know, the unselfishness was wow. was a really cool well, thing. Well, first of all, it's always amazing to me, the irony of guys that don't speak at all that end up becoming media people. I mean, both, both of them have worked in the media since retirement. It's always funny to me how that will happen. And then the second thing is, I just think it's incredibly sweet that you left the number one spot for Brock Heward after all this time. <laughs> That's so nice of you that number one was Brock Heward. Wow, Matt. That's really going to mean a lot to him. Brock Heward was way too much of a prankster. Like, he just, the pranks that guys like Brock or Trent Dilfer or even our old punter Jeff Fiegels, like, the, the pranks were too serious to get on this list. Jeff Fiegels, the guy whose feet were two different sizes or, like, his legs were two different sizes or something? 
You know, I don't know. Jeff Eagles is a punter, great punter for Seattle for a long time, and no, never got any credit. And then all of a sudden, he puts punts one year with the New York Giants, and everyone's like, "Hall of Famer! We got to do <laughs> stories on this guy. He's in the New York market." It was, it was, uh, it was a big slap in the face to uh, how we were all feeling for a while, being yeah. kind of in the witness protection program when, when the way the NFL looked at us. All right, number one. Number one, this guy does not get enough credit. Uh, a running back at a Cal University, um, Justin Forsett. And the reason I say that is because we trade. He was the starting running back when we traded for Marshawn Lynch in October. And Marshawn came in, and it would have been a very, very tough adjustment. But the unselfishness and the you know the help that Mar- that Justin Forsett was to Marshawn, teaching him, basically teaching his replacement. Um, and, and really doing it in an, such an unselfish way. Justin essentially became the third down back, but really helped Marshawn succeed not only that year, but for a long time in Seattle. And I, I don't know that it would have happened without that running back room, which was Sherman Smith and Justin Forsett. And, uh, and Marshawn's a great guy, but it, I think it, it kind of, he set the table in for how unselfish he was and, and how much he was, uh, willing to, uh, like I said, train his replacement to uh to come help us right away so uh obviously an incredible guy in, in the community as well he's doing well in business yeah. after football and uh he's a guy that you can certainly certainly be proud of just well, and if i set. remember right he and marshawn were like best friends from cal they already knew each other so i think there was a relationship there he also if i remember right did he like sing his engagement to his wife or something like that he wrote her a song there's some story I, in there. I, I could certainly yes, you're you're right about that. He's also been on Shark Tank. Yeah, uh, but I would I would say that a part of Pete Carroll and the Seahawks' willingness to go get Marshawn and trade for him with the Buffalo Bills, I am sure a part of that factor to doing the trade was understanding who they had mm. at the running back position in Justin Forsett. And without Justin Forsett, who knows if they even make that trade. That's cool. And then and then who knows if it ever would have been as successful as it was. Well, congratulations, Tyler Lockett, who by all accounts is right there as one of the great guys in the game. And he, he certainly appears that way from our perspective. And, uh, yeah, nominated. Seahawks won the award last year with Russell Wilson, and uh, they'll try to give it a shot again this year with Tyler Lockett. Matt, it's always fun, man. This is great. Great hour. Appreciate you doing it, and uh, we'll look forward to getting ready to do it one more time next week. Sounds great. Thanks. There you go. Matt Hasselbeck every week with us at 9 o'clock on Wednesdays. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. we got a big day. I think Jake's going to come argue with me a little bit tomorrow, so that should be fun. Stick around for him. He'll argue with Stacy for the next four hours. We'll see you guys 6 a.m. Goodbye.